Welcome to Political as Heck. This is a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined as usual by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Happy President's Day tomorrow. Well, actually, in Utah, it's Washington and Lincoln's Day, but happy Washington and Lincoln's oh. Day to you. I didn't know that, but I like Mar- it. Margaret Dayton used to point out on the Senate floor every year that we don't celebrate all the presidents. We celebrate Washington and Lincoln. <laughs> Touche, and they should be celebrated. So that's a good thing. And I'm glad to know that. All right, jumping into it. For the past few legislative sessions, we've seen a push, largely from Democratic lawmakers in the legislature, to eliminate the sales tax on food. And each year there's been some amount of buzz, but the effort has fallen short. Well, it seems like Republican leadership may be open to making it happen this time around, but in exchange, they may want support from the education community and other left of center stakeholders to remove a provision in Utah's constitution that guarantees funding for education. Under the state constitution, income taxes can only pay for public and higher ed. In 2020, the voters did expand that earmark to include some social services for children and disabled residents. Sales and gas taxes pay for everything else in the budget. Todd, this is a very technical provision in law, but I do think that it's interesting and has big ramifications. Can you explain it to us? Yes, I can. So first of all, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you when you go to the store, um, you pay two different sales taxes. Um, you pay if you buy a broom at Smith's, you pay like the full seven point, you know, whatever percent. But if you buy uh, a raw potato, um, you pay a lower sales tax, something like four or five percent. And um, that that's um, thanks to um, legislation that was passed when John Huntsman was governor. And the attempt last year to cut, pro- or, uh, well, in 2020, to cut property taxes and ex- in exchange for restoring that full sales tax on food that, that was passed by the legislature and then subject to um, signatures for referendum. And then it was repealed on the second day of the 2020 session. So um, since then, people have said, well, so taxing food is immoral. Uh, people need to buy food to survive, and therefore the government shouldn't tax it. And in fact, a lot of states don't tax uh, food, and some states like Utah do tax food. So so let's talk about that for a moment. Um, so first of all, um, the sales tax on food is the only tax that some people uh, pay. And I don't say that lightheartedly. So if you, know, if you are working poor, um, you don't pay any federal income tax, you don't pay any state income tax. In fact, you'll now qualify for a federal, you know, earned income tax credit. So you may be getting a few thousand dollars back. You know, if you if you don't own property, you're not paying property tax. Um, and so sales tax, you know, you'll, you'll pay sales tax on your gas, which is actually the gas tax and sales tax. So I, I've heard a lot of people argue, you know, everyone benefits from, you know, government services. So you, you ought to pay some tax and, and, and that, and, and of course, um, you know, the, the, the best counter argument to that is, you know, uh, Corey, you've got a good job. I've got a good job. So your percentage of the income that you spend on food is going to be lower from your total income than it would be for, for, for a working poor person. Um, now, of course, we get food stamps to um, poor people, but some people are working poor and they don't qualify for food stamps. And so, I mean, so, so, you know, there is a disparate impact on the working poor for the percentage of their discretionary income that they're spending on food. So, um, so, so put a pin on that for a second and let's switch to a different topic. Utah is the only state out of all 50 states 
that has an earmark on its income tax. And so we can spend our sales tax on anything we want. Um, it's general fund money. Um, the gas tax is earmarked just for transportation. And the income tax has historically been earmarked for, for education. Um, although two years ago, the voters allowed us to spend some of that on um, disabilities. Um, so <clears throat> the um, uh, several people have asked me, um, hey, we've got such a big um, surplus this year. Why don't you repeal the sales tax on food? Well, all of our surplus, all of it is in the income tax, and that can only be spent on two items in the budget. And so it would make no sense to repeal the sales tax on food because we have a surplus on the income tax because the sales tax can be spent on everything in the state and the income tax can only be spent on two things. So we can't switch income tax dollars, you know, to general fund dollars, which, um, and again, we're the only state legislature in the country with that, with that, um, those handcuffs, if you will, we can't always spend the money that we have for the items that we most need money to be spent on. Like we can't spend income tax on homelessness, for instance, or affordable housing or the Great Salt Lake. We can't spend on any of those things, but we can spend the sales tax on food on all of those things. So I hope I'm making sense. And so there has been a push for several years to repeal the sales tax on food. And so um, the legislature is going to put this on the ballot and said, and basically say, you know, do you, do you want to um, um, uh, vote to amend the constitution to remove that constitutional constitutional earmark? Because if we remove that, then we would be in a position where we feel like we could repeal the sales tax on food. But if we can't remove that earmark that says uh, income tax can only be spent on those two items, then, you know, uh, during the next recession, I think we'll really regret it. Because during a recession, people might stop buying new cars, they might stop remodeling their houses, but they still go to Smith's and they still buy their food every week, which gives the state money to, you know, to, to run everything the state does. And so that's why those two are being combined. And so just like any um, combination, it's just like, you know, it's similar to the school choice program. People are like, no, I want the race for the teacher. I just don't want the voucher, you know, and it's not technically a voucher. And people now will say, well, I, I want to remove the sales tax on food, but I don't want to remove the constitutional earmark. But there's actually a good reason, a very good reason, which I just tried to explain to tie those two together. So 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 we're saying this would this would be put to the voters, right? It would and, be because and, only uh, it took you. Yeah, it took you eight minutes to explain that, Todd. Oh, goodness, that's so, not good. <laughs> so, do we think that this is going to be? This might be a little tough for for voters to absorb. I'm not saying because they're not smart. It's just this is pretty technical, and you're good yeah. at explaining things, and they're probably going to read some green sheet about it and be like, I, I don't know what this means. Well, I think the voters will understand if we vote for uh, constitutional amendment A, that it's going to remove the sales tax on food. And that may be all they need to vote on. And if the education community is not running commercials against it, that's what we're, you know, we're trying to cut a deal with the education community um, because we've, we've given them $2.4 billion of new money since 2015. They're going to get close to a half a billion dollars of new money this year. And then we're making commitments to give them a certain amount of more new money over the next six years or so, even though we expect enrollment will decline. So, um, so, so that's huge because one of the reasons why it was so hard for us to increase per pupil funding is because we we're adding 13,000 students a year for about a decade. And so we'd have to catch, we'd have to add new money just to catch up 
you know, for the per people funding for those new 13,000 and then try to add on top of that. And then the next year it was 13,000 more and then the next year, 12,000 more. And now this year we had very small growth in education um, and we might start actually having um, some negative growth because the population, not people aren't having as many babies as they did in the past. So, so you, you convinced me, and I think this is, you know, a pretty compelling argument and, and the reason that they're coupled together makes a lot of sense. But if I were a naysayer and if I were in the education community, I might say like, what do I get out of this? Well, so, so what they would get out of it is a guarantee that education funding is going to continue to increase at a certain level for the next six years, even though the uh, the number of kids in K through 12 may be decreasing. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay, good. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to the next. This one's a little bit more playful. So Senator Kirk Cullimore has a bill to designate the last Friday in October as a new as the new annual date to celebrate Halloween. So basically his argument is that Halloween falling on a random weekday puts stress on kids and parents because kids end up staying up late and but they still need to go to school and parents still need to go to the work the next day. So it'd be in the better interest of of health and safety and what uh, the the bill calls welfare of the community to create a standard date for trick-or-treating, do it on Friday. And, uh, you know, as a parent, this does make some sense. Uh, The bill itself was reported favorably out of committee, but it failed on the Senate floor 9 to 16 this week. And Todd, I want to get your take on it. And I know you supported the bill, so I want to hear what you think. To me, I think this, as a parent, it does make sense. And if I were king, you know, I'd this would be the type of thing I might think of. It is a clever idea. I'm not sure how practical it is. Um, and just a little history for the, you know, for all, for all of us, according to a few websites, you know, it says Halloween as we know it originated almost 2000 years ago with uh, Celtic people in Europe celebrating the, the end of harvest and the start of the new year. The English word Halloween comes from, a lot of us know this already, but All Hallows Eve being the evening before the Christian holy day of All Saints Day which is on November 1st, and then All Souls Day, which is on November 2nd. So since the time of the early church, the Feast of All Saints Day in Christianity, they had a vigil the night before um, and began the night before. And of course, that the night before was the last day of October because All Saints Day is November 1st. So bottom line is, you know, this tradition is kind of old and it's celebrated in many traditional Christian countries. And the dates are kind of set <laughs> based on thousands of years. Of history, and I'm not quite sure that a resolution from the Utah legislature is going to make that much of a difference. It feels a little bit like voting on a resolution to move Mount Timpanogos so that we could get to Midway easier, and you know that would be handy, but might be hard. Um, my guess is like the you know the overwhelming likelihood is if it were to pass, which it didn't, but if it had passed, it would just result in Halloween getting celebrated twice, kind of like this past year how when Halloween Halloween falls on a Sunday and then you know a lot of Utah people obviously are religious and so they celebrate on Saturday night but you still have kids coming on Sunday night so you basically celebrate it twice (laughs) but uh Todd how do you see it well you know so Christmas we celebrate the birth of Christ um you know we adopted December 25th even though that was a pagan holiday um we all know I think most of us know that Christ was not born on December 25th but we celebrated that day um, Christ was resurrected on an Easter Sunday, but Easter 
is like the most mysterious holiday because it has like a, a five week swing depending on the moon cycles. And yet we just pick a certain, you know, we, well, we, we celebrate Easter. Sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's in April. Um, even though we know that, you know, that wasn't maybe the exact date that Christ was born on that particular year. And so I think we do have a precedent for, for that. And, and nobody was going to change all hollows day from the 31st, but that, you know, and a lot of people thought that th this bill was about, you know, what happened? Oh my gosh, Mormons and, uh, members of the church of Jesus Christ of Saints and Halloween falls on a Sunday. What do you do? Well, we've kind of figured that out over the past hundred years. You know, you go trick or treat on Saturday and some people still go on Sunday and that's okay. The bigger, um, compelling argument to me to set, you know, a day, you know, we're going to celebrate Halloween with trick or treating on, on, on the Friday night was hearing from school teachers because they'll tell you that if Halloween's on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or even a Thursday, it kind of ruins the whole week. You know, the kids, um, they're all so excited. They're, they, they, you know, they have the, they want to have the, the little kids have the Halloween party in the school and they're dressing up in their costumes. There's not a lot of learning going on, on, you know, when you're sitting there in your, you know, Woody, Woody suit from Buzz Lightyear because the kids, and then, and then the day after trick or treating, they come in and they're all hopped up on their sugar and they're, they're trading candy and, you know, and so the, the thought was if, if we could um, do trick or treat on that Friday night, it might, it might actually save some school time. Now I voted yes, I, I because of our weird voting pattern in the Senate. I already knew the bill had died before I voted yes. So part of the yes was kind of tipping my hat to Senator Colomar saying nice try, and part of it was you know saying hey you know maybe it would be nice if we. I also I'll tell you Corey I think that we should celebrate Independence Day on the first Monday of of July and give everyone a three day weekend. Every time for Independence Day, yeah, yeah, always a little disappointed when it falls on a Wednesday, or you know, it's just not the same. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm all about the three day weekends. So, and most of so us, I love that idea, and I love the idea of uh, you know Halloween on Friday. I guess I'm just more like, I, I don't know if it would work. <laughs> yes. and, and I, I agree with you. Had the resolution passed, it didn't even come out of the Senate, so the House didn't even get a chance to vote it down. <laughs> so this is this, this is deader than dead. Um, this bill is not going anywhere. It's not going to happen this year. It probably will never happen. But I don't think it was as bad of an idea as people kind of made it out to be. The Deseret News and Hinckley Institute of Politics conducted a poll to find out the views on Utahns related to the school choice bill that recently passed through the legislature. Todd and I recommend you go back to our prior episode with uh, Representative Candace Perucci, the sponsor of the bill, to learn more about it. She, uh, she does an excellent job of explaining. But according to this poll, 49% of registered Utah voters support the idea, while 45% oppose. Todd, does that sound accurate to you? Well, like, like I think I've mentioned, I think there was a private poll commissioned through Jan Dan Jones just a month or two ago, which had it closer to 57 or 59 percent supporting it. I think it depends how you word the question. But what I just heard from you as a majority of Utahns, um, you know, more Utahns uh, support it than oppose it. And I think once it gets into implementation, you'll see that support grow. Um, and uh, in any event, it also shows us that the state is put pretty split on this. And, you know, if we were actually doing what we were accused of doing, and that is taking money away from public education, that that would be one thing. But I, I just want to remind you, just House Bill 215 adds $200 million in new money to public education this year and only $42.5 million to, to the school choice voucher. And in addition to that, I'm hearing that we're going to increase 
the WPU, another 6% this year on top of that $200 million, which will put it close to a half a billion dollars of new money to public education while we have this measly $42.5 million um, in the school choice program. And that's $42.5 million when all of the money taken together is about $7 billion. So, so like less than one half of 1%. And yet, you know, we, you know, the, the, the education union people were out there telling everybody this will ruin public education. So I, I'm going to ask you what, what else could you take one half, less than one half of 1% and absolutely bring <laughs> the program down to its knees. And it's, no, totally. It's kind totally. of silly. And the, uh, the feelings on this run extremely hot. And, um, well, before I should, I should say, I, this, this is my caveat on all does news Hinckley Institute polls. And I'm sorry for saying it again. Um, they proved themselves completely inaccurate in the past. Like they didn't miss the bullseye this last election. They missed the wall. <laughs> so, so I just want to say that. Well, on, one, on one race, right? Uh, so, so that's, that's it. There's definitely a lot of strong feelings on this. And, uh, and I, I have attended quite a few events with county legislators, kind of like, uh, like political updates um, in Utah County, at least. And, and there's a lot of folks who are showing up that are, that are pretty, pretty jazzed about it. And so it's, I think it's clear that for one thing, um, representative Perucci, I mean, she's a fantastic advocate for the bill. I believe she, she knows her stuff and she does a great job explaining it. Uh, it's also clear that the opponents, um, really got their message out. And so, so I think that probably is having a real effect, but let's look at a couple of cross tabs, which I thought were super interesting. According to the poll results, one group that indicated strong support in the state were non-whites, right? I think that's super interesting and it makes a lot of sense because you're talking about um, sometimes um, communities that, uh, that have less opportunity and what this bill does is give them an opportunity, you know, uh, to send their kids to someplace nicer if they don't like the, you know, the school that they went to or that they're going to and, or it gives the opportunity to group maybe six or eight of those kids together that speak a different language. Sure. Have them yeah. taught English and in their native tongue, because if you've got six or eight people with, you know, $8,000 scholarships, you could hire, you know, a full-time teacher and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, hundred percent. And I do want to point out, like, it is annoying to me that uh, they, in this article, the Deseret News, they really bury the lead. I mean, that is, that's news. That's yeah. really newsy. And uh, and you had to dig through it, get to the basically the bottom before it said that. And it said it, you know, surrounded by other statements saying, you know, making sure everyone knows the obvious, which is that self-identified, very conservative voters also support the idea. Other groups that indicate strong support were um, those who call themselves very active members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And of course, that makes sense. And I would expect, honestly, the same result from any kind of high commitment religious um, community. Um, I think a lot of folks would, you know, they, they want to have options, but again, this has been, uh, dismissed and poo pooed. And I just think that it's an interesting result that, uh, the way that the, the way that this article, the pollster posed it as is basically non-whites, but, but, uh, citizens, families, parents of color, um, they want this opportunity. So I think that's, I think that's interesting. And, and, uh, you know, I hope they take advantage of it. You know, Utah has the lowest percentage of students in private schools in the whole country. And uh, I think Idaho is right there with us. But in uh, it's typical for about 10% of the, uh, of the, of the uh, student population to go to 
private schools. And a lot of those are religious schools, like Catholic schools. Um, so we have Juan Diego, you know, here. Um, but obviously there's not a lot of Catholic schools in Utah for obvious reasons. Um, but it is, it is fascinating to me that, um, I do think that, you know, if this, um, school's choice program is successful, that you'll see that number inch up over the next couple of decades. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Not a terrible thing. You know, that might decrease class sizes. All right. One last topic, also a poll. So we're going to stay on this conversation about uh, Deseret News Hinckley Institute of Politics polls. They have another one out. This one asks about transgender surgeries for minors. Now, we don't need to debate the issue before we've already covered it, but I think that this is really interesting and, uh, and revealing a little bit about, uh, about where I think our media, Utah media is. So the question, the pollster asked, Deseret News Hinckley Institute asked Utahns whether they support or oppose legislation that would ban gender-affirming surgeries on transgender minors, along with a moratorium on puberty, excuse me, puberty blockers and hormone therapy. So the survey found 54% of Utah voters strongly or somewhat approve of the bill, while 41% so they strongly or somewhat disapprove. So 54-41 support it. Honestly, I, I, I'm not sure how credible this is, and I, and I, and I want to unpack it a little bit. So I've already given you my caveat about the pollster, so I'm not going to repeat it, but you know they don't have a stellar track record. But that said, I think there's even more going on here, and I want to take a closer look at the question before I give you the chance to, to tell us what you think, Todd. Um, and this is a broader point, honestly, about just kind of understanding how polls work on any subject, because how you ask the question matters a lot. And you just actually mentioned that on the last one. So here's, the, here's, here's what they ask. Quote, Utah lawmakers are considering legislation that would ban gender-affirming surgeries on transgender minors, along with a moratorium on puberty blockers and hormone therapy. Do you support or oppose this legislation? Close quote. That's the question. So the pollster here, Deseret News, Hinckley Institute, they're using, they are affirmatively using the language of the transgender advocacy community, which is gender-affirming care. Gender-affirming care is a euphemism for sex change surgery, basically. Cutting breasts off of a girl, cutting a penis off of a boy who's electing to change genders, or giving them these hormones to, to block their puberty or to, to uh, you know, give testosterone to, to a girl who wants, who, who's transitioning to a boy and so forth. So the advocates for these surgeries, they use the euphemism gender-affirming care because it sounds value positive, obviously, it, it, and it honestly, it, it kind of yeah, hides the ramifications, and I think willfully. So in other words, people who are living their lives and not following everything that's happening at the legislature or in the news, which is most people, as they should, probably have little idea what is meant by gender-affirming care, and it sounds like a banal positive thing, like maternal health or prenatal care, but the, the ramifications here are something else entirely. And so I'm saying that the Deseret News Hinckley Institute's choice to use this phraseology would absolutely affect the results. And let me give you, let me give you the, the counterpoint here. What if on the flip side, they asked, instead of gender-affirming care, what if they asked, do you support a requirement for children and adolescents to wait until they turn 18 before they can decide to surgically remove their breasts or their vagina for girls or remove their penis for boys to change their gender 
or to take hormones that may affect their ability to have children in the future? You know, should we have them wait until they are adults to make that consequential decision, similar to getting a tattoo or, or being able to buy cigarettes? And I have a feeling, Todd, that the results of the poll would look very different. <laughs> I don't want to, again, I don't want to downplay the seriousness of this issue. It's very serious, and many youth struggle with these challenges, and we need to be compassionate. And I'm a full, full I'm a firm believer that, uh, that some, some people, a very small, very tiny minority, but, uh, but a group of people are, uh, are in this situation, and I, I believe they are, and I think we need to be compassionate. But I also believe this is a pretty straightforward issue for the vast majority of Utah voters, and I'm not sure this poll captured that. What do you think? So, first of all, I think if they would have asked just about the surgeries, waiting until you're an adult for the surgery, you'd probably see about 80%. Um, and 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 I, I think they may not admit it publicly, but I, I suspect a lot of my Democratic colleagues in the legislature would agree that the surgery should wait. And I was told um, repeatedly that there were no gender, um, uh, you know, affirming surgeries on minors in Utah. But then I had, then we had some people come and testify at the hearing that they had had the surgery. So I don't know if they left the state. They didn't make that clear. I, I think if you, if you know what I mean, I think there might've been some top surgeries taking place, but not bottom surgeries. And that's usually how, how it's referred to in, in, you know, in polite talk. So I'm not going to use <laughs> The, the gender specific words that you've been using. Um, but I think that it's a lot more of a nuanced um, discussion when you talk about the um, hormone therapy and the puberty blockers. Um, and I think that the, the public doesn't know a lot about those. And, and in fact, as it turns out, the doctors and the scientists don't know a lot about those either, which is why, you know, um, Governor Cox said that he was comfortable signing um, Senate Bill 16 to put a pause, press the pause button until we learn more. So it'll be interesting to see what 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 the future uh, brings on on all of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they are they are. Um, I think you would get uh, disparate results and a conversation about puberty blockers. There are other reasons to use them, of course. Um, we don't know the long term effects. You have a final word on this, Todd. Well, I was just looking, you know, my Senate Bill 100 that said that parents need to be notified if the school is doing a transition plan. I was just noticing all of the Democrats in the Senate voted against my bill, but about half the Democrats in the House voted for it. It was amended slightly in the House, but um, I said to several of my Republican colleagues, I said, you know, some of these Democrats in the Senate, I think, would have voted for my bill just three or four years ago. And I was using it as an example of how polarizing that issue has become for both sides of the aisle. Um, but I was kind of pleased that, you know, um, you know, Representative Carol Moss and uh, Brian King, several Democrats in the House voted for it. And I do think it was ultimately a parental rights bill. So and I think, you know, without naming names, I, I think if it had just been the surgeries only, I think you'd have maybe seen some Democrats cross the aisle and support. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we'll, yeah. we'll see you next week, Corey. Thanks. Good stuff. See you next week. Thanks. All right. Bye bye.